What's up, y'all? We're back with another edition of the DNVR Rams podcast presented by Chevalier Mortgage. As always, I'm your host, Justin Michael. I'm sure you've heard how great the mortgage rates are right now, and they are. But Mike and Virginia, they're not just your typical mortgage company. They have phenomenal rates. But what really makes them different is that Mike is a certified financial planner. He's going to look at so much more than just the rate when designing your home loan. They're a small family-owned company, so you'll always feel like a person, not a number. These are the people that you want to work with. These are the type of people you can trust. Whether you're looking at refinancing your current mortgage, maybe buying a new home, Mike and Virginia, they'll make the process as smooth and simple as possible. I'm telling you, they're the best around. Visit them at dnvrmortgage.com and enter to win a free DNVR shirt or hat of your choice when you do. Most importantly, though, you'll get set up with a free consultation and discuss all your options. Again, that's dnvrmortgage.com. Or you can always give Mike a call directly at 970-412-2472. Visit dnvrmortgage.com or give him a call at 970-412-2472. Michael Chevalier, NMLS number 1931006. Virginia Chevalier, NMLS number 1910631. All right, joining me on the DNVR Rams podcast presented by Chevalier Mortgage, the man, the myth, the legend himself, Eli Bedker. Eli, this is March, man. I, I'm, I'm not trying to use all the Rothsteinisms on you, but this is March. It's been two years since we've had an NCAA tournament. That feels insane. We were kind of talking about it a little bit before you know, we hopped on here, but it just feels good to finally have an NCAA tournament to talk about again. Yeah, it's, it's such a good feeling. And especially after last year, it just ended on such a sour note, especially for us with the teams that we cover and the conference we cover with San Diego State looking like a Final Four team. And Dayton was such a fun story. And Gonzaga had a phenomenal year last year. It would have been such a great tournament and got that ripped out of us. Um, but, you know, 12 months later, we kind of get the sense, at least I do, that there's light at the end of the tunnel from this thing. And it's been a it's been a tough, tough year for a lot of people. But it's nice to have this distraction, to have March Madness back in our lives. And it's so fun to just cover it because it's just a just a, an amazing sporting event. So I'm really looking forward to it. I'm still bummed because I had... San Diego State to win it all. I had a prop bet on them that I placed when I was out there in <laughs> Vegas, and then the tournament got canceled. So I feel like I might have been bad luck. I don't know. Like, did I did I bring bad omens into the world? I I don't know. But I'm glad we have a tournament. Um, it, it's a crazy time to be following college basketball, the Mountain West as a whole. We have a lot to get into. Um, just briefly though, before we kind of get into it, obviously we've got you know the first round coming up. You know, are are there any games that you know really jump out to you that you're really excited for? Man, it's. I mean, usually I feel like I have a pretty good sense of what I'm going to do with my bracket, and this year I have no idea what I'm really planning to do with this thing. And I think a lot of the reasons for that is because the blue blood struggled, and so it's it's usually so easy to just mark Duke or Kentucky or Michigan State down as a Final Four team and feel that you'll do pretty well. But when you put in teams that haven't been there before, it makes it pretty tough. But uh, And then to, to make matters more challenging, I, I've watched a lot of mid-major basketball this year. And I'll watch teams from Winthrop to Abilene Christian to Cleveland State. I, I probably watch those teams more than Big, Big 12, Big 10 teams because I think they're pretty fascinating. And naturally, they're all matched up with teams that I, that I had pinpointed as like my final four choices. So 
uh, you know, UC Santa Barbara taking on Creighton. That should be an awesome game. But I had Creighton as kind of my, my sleeper. Uh, Winthrop against Villanova. Villanova's banged up, but I still like it, it's hard to bet against Jay Wright in March at this point. So that's where I'm at, I mean, especially because yeah, that's yeah. like the 12 5, the classic 12 5. Mm-hmm. They're like 26 and 1 or whatever their yeah. record is. And, and it, it feels too obvious. Am I wrong there? Like exactly. everybody, everybody's like, oh, 26 and 1, the 12 5. It always happens. Yeah. Villanova's going to win by like 15 and break everyone's heart. It yeah, it's t- I've I've probably seen Winthrop more than any other team in college basketball this year. I think that they they play such a great brand of basketball, and Chandler Vaudrin is just a tremendous point guard of the things that he does, and DJ Burns being the Tennessee transfer who could just you know, he could put up twenty in the Big Ten if he wanted to. But and I think I think the more that I'm in the nitty gritty of like college basketball media. Whenever, especially this time of year, whenever I see an article that says, you know, pick Winthrop as your 12 seater, pick UC Santa Barbara as your 12 seater, pick this team, I immediately am like, well, now it's it's not going to happen. It's it would never <laughs> happen. If someone, it, it's it's March Madness. It if someone, yeah, if you if you say it's going to happen, it will not happen because it's March Madness, and that's why no one's ever been even remotely close to a perfect bracket. So I need to just stop reading the articles and just go with my gut with what I think is right. And um, I have I have Oral Roberts beating uh, excuse me beating Ohio State as a two fifteen. I think that's God, I, I think that, that could potentially happen. I don't see anyone talking about that one, so I'm like, let's do it. And I'm giving some serious thought to Eastern Washington beating Kansas. I think Kansas doesn't have those types of killers like they usually do. It reminds me kind of like that team uh, that Ali Farokmanish and Northern Iowa took down. Like they have guys who play in the NBA, but do they have that guy who's going to step up and take that last shot. I, I don't know. I think Eastern Washington matches up pretty well with those two, but the first round matchups are just really, really good this year. So it should be really fun. You heard it here, guys. Kansas going down. If not <laughs> at Eli. No, don't you dare. I will <laughs> be really sad if that happens. Um, North Texas is a team that I really like. Um, kind of a tough draw early, but we'll have to see. I don't know. I'm, I'm rooting for them. We'll see how all this plays out. I'm super stoked. Is there is there any reason to believe, you know, a Mountain West team could make a run? You know, time and time again, anybody that's followed the Mountain West for, you know, a decade plus, whenever there's that top 25 Mountain West team, you're like, oh, I'm taking them to the Sweet 16. And they lose to like Harvard or somebody in the first round. And all of us are like, what the hell, San Diego State? Can the Aztecs make a run? Can Kata and the Aggies make a run? Yeah, I, I feel better about San Diego State's odds. I think they got a better draw. Agreed. Um, they they can hit perimeter shots and that's fine against Syracuse in their zone. The the pedigree that Jim Beheim brings to the tournament. If you see Syracuse on the eleven line, it's just like, well, they're gonna go to the Elite Eight. It's just it's going to happen. And, I said <laughs> the same thing. I was like, yeah. every time they're mediocre and they slide in as like the twelve yeah. seed, they end up going to the Sweet Sixteen minimum. Yeah, yeah. So that like the mojo is not on San Diego State's side. That's for sure. But this team is so locked in and. Uh, you know, with Matt Mitchell and Jordan Shackle, I think it doesn't show up in the box score necessarily. And it might be a bit of a cliche, but the way that last year's season ended for them when they had a legitimate chance to win the final four, I see the reports coming out about, you know, coaches complaining about having cold food and like all these different things. Get like out of here. Yeah. But I, I spoke to uh, Christopher Gabriel about this, who, who's on, who, you know, uh, from yeah. ESPN Fresno. And I told him, like, do we really think that Matt Mitchell and Jordan Shackler are complaining about 
maybe lukewarm food after what happened last year? Absolutely not. Like they're they're here to win six games and they're here to to get the job done. So, and I'm not saying that Syracuse is that way. Jim Beheim knows what he's doing, but I think I think I like the draw for San Diego State and the potential matchup against what uh, West Virginia in that second round. That would be a super fun matchup that I think they could win. Uh, that West Virginia team isn't as um, they're so defensively locked in. Yeah, yeah, it, they are a little inconsistent. I, I like them, but they are a little shaky. Um, so I think a, a sweet 16 run is possible for San Diego State if they play up to their potential. Utah State, I, I'm not as sold on. I think that that draw is pretty tough for them. If they drew a team that didn't really have those types of go-to scores like Texas Tech does, they have Mac McClung, and it's almost the complete opposite of what Utah State brings to the table. They have Kata, their big man, who I think would put up some really huge numbers against Texas Tech because I think um, the Raiders kind of lack that interior presence. But I've said it since August. I don't think that Utah State has that guy who's going to create shots and finish in the clutch, which is exactly what Sam Merrill brought to the table for them. And hopefully that doesn't serve as discredit to guys like Marco Anthony, who I think has been really good this year. But you need to have someone who can create off the bounce and hit perimeter shots in the clutch. And that's what happened when, you know, when they lost their games on the stretch, that's what happened in the mountain West tournament. It's just, you need to have that in the tournament. And when the opposite team has pretty much the go-to guy in Mac McClung, it's just, it's a tough matchup. So I, I wouldn't be stunned if they pull off an upset, they're going to make it muddy enough to to stay in the game. But if they can hit enough big shots down the stretch, I think that's a big question. I miss Sam Merrill so much. It's so unfortunate <laughs> that he didn't get a chance to compete yeah. in the tournament last year. I mean, at least he had his moment. The, the Mountain West tournament run was was phenomenal, and that shot, you know, will will be played in highlight reels forever. But he, him, and um, oh my gosh, I'm drawing a blank. The San Diego State three point shooter. Uh, yeah, who hit that for San Diego State? Actually, um, was it uh, was it Mitchell who hit it? I think it was. I, I'm I don't blanking know. I don't, on it now. Yeah, but just that game, like such a, such a phenomenal. Oh no, game. it was Flynn. It was Flynn who hit was it. Was it Malachi Flynn that hit yeah, it? Yeah, it was Flynn. Yep. Oh, he was fun too, man. We should have we should have yeah. had a chance to see him in the tournament. That's <sighs> that's a it's a bummer. But a bummer. I'm trying not to I'm trying not to think about the tough times and think about the good <laughs> yeah. times. But it's hard because, you know, as a, as a guy that followed CSU, you know, I I feel that the Rams were one of the top 68 teams in the country. Did the league? put themselves in a bad position with these makeup games like as as somebody who covers the league objectively are you know CSU and Boise fans do they have a legitimate gripe there or you know you know should they have taken care of business is it really that simple I I don't necessarily think it's one or the other I think that they should have taken care of business I think Colorado State losing to Nevada that's not a bad loss by any means and Sherfield was amazing but Boise State, you can't. Uh, and how many mid majors have gotten that large bid, losing four straight to end their regular season? I don't. I don't think any have, and I'd I'd be surprised if any have. But uh, it's it's too bad for both of these teams because, like you said, I think that they're among the best sixty eight teams in the nation. I don't think many people could could disagree with that. It's unfortunate for Boise State with the way that they started and. Their schedule was pretty front-loaded, so they, they were able to stack up wins in the beginning, and then the going got kind of tough. And 
Leon Rice has had some teams that have struggled in March. So it's it's tough to see that play out the way that it has so many times in recent years because they've had some darn good teams with Hutchison and Alston and Jessup and James Webb and all these guys who are playing pro ball now who haven't had that chance. But um, going back to your original question, I think I think you do you have to take care of business if you're going to get an at-large bid, especially if you're a mid-major team. You're not going to get the benefit of the doubt like Syracuse. I it's tough to think now that Syracuse is in this tournament and Colorado State isn't. That's that's pretty brutal. So I said yeah, it I mean, on my yeah. live show. I was like, how yeah. what do you what do you tell the CSU players at that point? Because I get it, you do have to take care yeah. of business. But like you said, mm-hmm. Nevada's not a bad loss. That's a good team. They swept Boise State, they played everybody tough. And really, I mean, Sherfield hit that shot. Isaiah Stevens hit the shot. It was just, you know, it it didn't, it wouldn't have counted. Obviously, he stepped out of bounds and I don't think he got it off in time anyways, but it just shows the type of you know, competitive fire that CSU has. They had no losses outside of Q2. It's just, it's a situation where it's like, I, I feel like they basically got screwed by the games they weren't able to play due to COVID pauses earlier in the season. You know, they were supposed to play Oregon State and they were supposed to play Cal. Richmond was supposed to come to town. You know, they were supposed to have a game against Colorado. That's just so many opportunities to show themselves against quality opponents. But Bid stealers, man, a crazy, a crazy time. And and I I feel tough being upset because Oregon State and Georgetown, you know, making mm-hmm. runs in the conference tournament, that's what it's all about. If they don't do that though, are CSU and Louisville in? Yeah, yeah, that that would be the case given what the committee decided on. And I, I honestly thought it would be three. I thought it would be San Diego State had this thing locked up for, for a number of weeks now, and I felt pretty good about Utah State's odds to land as maybe a, a 10 or 11, and I thought CSU was going to be in a playing game. So, That's but it, it's not, too. yeah, it's, and they would have if it weren't for Oregon State and Georgetown. So uh, it's, a, it's a tough draw that way. I think as far as the conference is concerned, I, the gripes are reasonable from Colorado State and Boise State fans, I think especially CSU fans, but if you're, I, I think if you're a mid-major conference, if I, if if that were my job, if I uh, had the job of being Mountain West Commissioner, first thing I'm doing is I am pulling up the spreadsheets. I'm figuring out everything in my power I can do to maximize the number of bids that I can get out of this conference into the tournament. Whether that means that we have to go with the crazy WCC ladder bracket that they have that protects their top four teams, whether that means you go with the Conference USA's, they have that rotational, the rotational scheduling yeah. method. Yeah, at the end of the season, which uh, in theory in, increases the number of quality games. Whatever it takes, you have to do what what's possible to get more teams in the in in the tournament. It's not like the ACC where you know, oh, it's eight teams instead of nine, or or Big Ten, it's six instead of seven, whatever the case may be. The difference between two and three in the Mountain West is huge, and that's a lot of money that helps all of the other sports that this conference plays. And so, I, if, I mean, you if you have contracts, I get that. And obviously, the Mountain West just had that new lucrative deal with CBS and, and Fox Sports, which has been awesome. I feel like I've watched more Mountain West basketball this year than, than any other year. That's but a good point. It, it has yeah, been better. Yeah. It, yeah. It's, it's awesome because uh, especially for me, for whatever reason, I don't get ESPNU out here. I get uh, like FS1, C- yeah, CBS Sportsnet, all of those ones. I get Pac-12 Network, which is kind of laughable. 
um, <laughs> but and not ESPNU. But it it's it's better for me. But as far as the conference goes, it's too bad that we were talking potentially four bids for so long. This is a four team race for almost the entire season, and you have one team that's expected. I mean, it's kind of a coin flip, but one team that's expected to win the first round game of the tournament and only two teams in. So it's too bad. You have to take care of business as a mid-major team. But I also think the leaders of the conference should do everything in their power to try to get as many teams in. I don't really know if that was the case with the way the, the season played out. I think you I think you hit the nail right on the head there. When Wichita State got in the play-in game, I don't remember what region it was. But that was basically when I was like, that was CSU spot. If they were going to be in, that's that's the game they would have gotten. That's all right, though. You know, life goes on. Um, I'm all in on the NIT. I'm trying to make lemonades or lemonade out of lemon here. You know, God, good Lord, I can't even say the phrase right. They got a tough draw in Buffalo, though. Um, kind of looking at the metrics from what I've seen, it, it seems like they're a team that can score. They, they led the nation in rebounds per game at 44 um, also led the nation in, in field goal percentage, just true field goal percentage, which is impressive. Um, but it kind of seems like they were feasting against lower competition. You know, what can you tell us about this Buffalo team just briefly before we kind of move on and, and talk greater picture Mountain West stuff? Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a good MAC team, and they had a number of competitive matchups this season. I think I've I seen them play against Toledo a couple times. I want to say and. And also maybe uh, like Akron and possibly Ohio as well. Like the Mac was really good this year. And so they, you mentioned kind of feasting on some lower level teams. And I think that's true. Most of their wins are against kind of that sub 100 tier, but it's a, it's a team that's pretty balanced and uh, they rebound. Well, as you said, it really crashed the boards. Javon Gray is a really fun player. Uh, he's, it seems like Buffalo always has some sort of, some sort of wing guy who can get you buckets and can do a lot of fun things. And that was the case going back to when Nate Oates was there. They had some really good wings on this team. So, so that should be pretty fun. I, I don't really know if they have a player who's going to match up super well with David Roddy. I feel like Roddy could have a pretty big game in this one, even though Buffalo does well on the boards. Uh, I still feel like this is a pretty good matchup for him. And I mean, overall it's, it's a solid Mac team. There's nothing too crazy that stands out for them they're they're balanced on both ends they like to play at tempo which which should produce a pretty fun game and and they get after it defensively a, a good amount so I, I would lean colorado state in this one i think that they probably have the upper hand so long as they're not too distraught with how selection sunday unfolded but um yeah it should be a fun game buffalo is a good team and that's a that's another team you can pick up a, a quality win on on your sleigh and say like hey this is what we accomplished year one so i i like their chances in this one kind of unfortunate for csu's sake that this game isn't being played in fort collins just given that they do like to play at tempo and run you know the, the altitude would be a big advantage for the rams in that regard one of the things i've been trying to sell to the fans you know in regards to just trying to make the best of this situation is you know, we have seen time and time again where teams are able to, you know, make a deep NIT run or, you know, win the CBI, I think like Nevada did a couple of years and then follow that up, you know, with a couple of NCAA tournament appearances. This CSU team, they don't have any seniors, you know, David Roddy, Isaiah Stevens, both sophomores, you know, even James Moores and John Tanjay, some of these guys, really bright futures as sophomores. There's, there's reason to be hopeful if you're a Rams fan right now, right? Oh, for sure. Yeah. And I, I think in talking to some of their assistants, 
they're they're all really hopeful about the future. And I I imagine they didn't expect the season to unfold the way that it unfolded. But for this team to be this good without any seniors in, in this day and age, that's that's pretty impressive. And I would fully expect that most, if not all, of the core is going to be back next year. I don't I can't speculate on who's going to transfer or who might want to test That's this tough or to that. say because things yeah, can change it, so quickly it, and it, it yeah it can and it's i mean in this day and age like it, we're going to be upwards of i don't know how many transfers so uh, you have your fingers crossed that it, it doesn't touch home in fort collins but if that is the case if everyone's back it sure seems like this team enjoys playing with one another and i think that they have a pretty good idea of what they could be in a year or two if you use this NIT run as like, hey, we're we're a really solid team and we can win in the postseason, you use that as momentum heading into next year, and and then you have a really solid team. And I think, I mean, even with the way that it unfolded, I think Colorado State got better as the year went along. I think uh, John Tanjay he had his moment against SDSU, but I think he was more solid as as the year progressed. James Moore's I thought was. I think Nico Medved said that he was the most improved player from from day one to the end of the season. He he's already turned into a guy that I could see as a potential all leaguer in in a year or two, and that's really impressive for him. And then Stevens and Roddy are are who they are. They're going they're all league players already. I think both could be potential player of the year candidates next year. If it if it holds together and you have your fingers crossed that it does. CSU should be right in the running for the title next year. And I think starting with NIT and winning a couple of games in this thing is a good building block to make that happen. You know, one of the pitfalls of success, you know, when you're at a mid-major and I, I know there's arguments about whether Mountain West teams are technically mid-majors or not, but I, they're not power programs to me. So I don't know what else you call them. But anyways, you know, when, whenever you win, it's obviously tough because then your coaches start getting floated, you know, for the bigger jobs. CSU fans, they're, they're a little on edge right now with Minnesota opening up. I've argued that I think it's better for CSU's sake that Minnesota opened up this offseason than next offseason. You know, who do you kind of see being the, the number one target for that Gophers job? And obviously, I know we're just kind of speculating here because there's a ton of dudes with connections to the region. Yeah, it's, I mean, you probably take the top three coaches in the Mountain West and say these are all the candidates uh, for, for the Minnesota job, which is, it's cool to see the coaches be candidates for big, legitimate jobs. I think that's cool, and it, it shines more positive light to the conference, but you hate to lose Dutcher, Medved, or Smith. That would be a pretty big hit to the conference of what they've already accomplished. Um, I, I, I like your point on that. I hadn't really seen that point before about Medved, but you know, if, if Colorado State wins 23, 25 games next year under a full season and they get to the tournament, holy smokes, he's going to be lined up for just about any job he wants. And if something big opened up, and there's always going to be something big that opens up, but um, I think the Minnesota connection is pretty real. And it would be tough to imagine that this job will go to someone besides a Mountain West coach. Um, I think uh, Saunders, a former uh, Minnesota Timberwolves head coach, I think I've seen his name quite a bit, so that would be pretty interesting. And then even maybe a, a Big Ten assistant could be in the mix for this, or they could go the, the route of another high major who's looking to to move up. But it sure seems everywhere that I look and what I've heard, it's it's those three guys who are at the top of the list for Minnesota, and it just so happens that you know all of these guys have ties to the Midwest, 
and that's just how it goes. But um, it, it, I mean, it could be used as leverage. We, that wouldn't be a, a huge stunner if these guys, you know, listen to Minnesota and hear what they have to say and, and then sign an extension with, with their current teams. I, I wouldn't be too surprised if that's how it plays out, but um, I think that's a good point about when this job opens up, because if it were next year and both of those three teams do kind of what they did this year, then it, I think the likelihood of that happening would be even higher than it is right now. Right now, I, I got to imagine Dutcher would be their number one guy, just given his his resume, you know, his dad's history there. I don't know though, man. Going at his age, moving from San Diego to Minnesota, that that seems like not that great of a decision. <laughs> <laughs> it, yeah, I mean, I I I agree with that. I think that probably the past two years, I, I'd be curious what he would say about this job. Uh, you know, two years ago, if he would say whatever it would be that he would say right now, because these past two years have shown, I think San Diego State has the second highest win percentage of all of college basketball over the past two years next to only Gonzaga. So you can win here. And, and that's not, uh, that's not breaking news. San Diego State's a wonderful program and tops in the mountain West and probably one of the best 30, 40 programs in America. And going from that, is something that you've built up for so many years as an assistant with Steve Fisher and to, to get to this uh, stage and then leaving it after a few years to go to Minnesota, which is going to be, it's going to be tough. And even though that's a, you know, eight, nine, 10 big league, whatever, I'd have to imagine that your chances of getting to the tournament every year are probably higher with San Diego state than Minnesota. As crazy as that sounds, if you have a one in three shot to win the Mountain West tournament, or at least a one in two shot of getting at large out of the Mountain West, that's probably better odds than if you're the eighth or ninth team out of the Big Ten. And I, I hope that's not selling him short of what he could potentially do at Minnesota if it were to happen. But man, when you're competing every night against Wisconsin, Ohio State, Purdue, Indiana, if they get their act together, like that's that's tough. That's really really tough. And you mentioned the weather element there, and I don't think it gets any more of a 180 than going from San Diego uh, to Minnesota in the winter. So uh, I would imagine he's their top candidate. It would make a lot of sense for his connections and his dad connections to the university. And he's already been on record talking about what he thinks about the job. But at the end of the day, I don't really know if the fit is is going to be there. And I feel like San Diego State should feel okay about their odds of bringing him back, especially given what they've accomplished the last two years. And this is a team that should consistently be top 15 naturally with what they've done under Brian Dutcher. I agree with everything you've said. I mean, to me, San Diego state is a better gig. It's the best gig in the mountain West versus, you know, the eighth best gig in the big Mm -hmm. 10 at best. I mean, and that might be a stretch even with some of those other, you know, I think there's an argument that both Indiana schools are better. You know, you're not going to, it's tough to out recruit Ohio state, Michigan, Michigan state, like you mentioned, Wisconsin. It's just, it's a tough gig, even with a ton of talent that comes out of the Minneapolis area at the high school level, that it doesn't really tend to stay local. And, and I guess that's why they could look for a guy like Nico Medved, who has the local ties, especially if he brings Thorson with him. I don't know though. He, he hasn't made the NCAA tournament yet as a head coach. I, I think that's a factor, you know, that they, they could consider if you're a big 10 team like Minnesota I just imagine they're going for a little bit higher profile at this point, but who knows? Cause you know, everybody kind of projects Medved as that, that up and coming guy. 
Yeah, I, I think that's definitely fair. And I mean, Medved might make a bit more sense in terms of mutual interest between the two programs than Dutcher. Uh, I think, I think we would all agree that Minnesota is a step up in terms of a job from Colorado state. And that's obviously no disrespect to Colorado state, but that's a big 10 job versus Colorado state program that might get to the tournament every, you know, three, four, five years. And that's kind of been the case the, the last handful of a uh, handful of years there. But, you know, I think, I think a lot of these programs, and I'm sure we'll talk about Otzelberger going to Iowa state. Cause that's a fascinating <laughs> one. I think a lot of these high major programs are just trying to, get these guys before they really blow up and they don't have a chance to get them anymore. And I don't, and I, I definitely hear you. It's hard to get one of those mid major to high major hires for a guy who hasn't reached the tournament yet. But I think a lot of these, these ADs and these leaders are looking at these, these coaches and saying, you know, if they do this next year and they get 25 wins and go to the tournament, this guy's going to go to a bigger program than us. And he's not going to go to an Iowa state or a Minnesota. He's going to go to like, just throwing it out like, like a Texas or UCLA or whatever, just what, what have you. And that, I mean, that really changes the trajectory of your program. So I think some of these high major teams are trying to buy early and with med, excuse me, with Medved, with the way that he's been able to build up programs quickly with Drake and Furman and on Colorado state, making them a very legitimate on West. I think a lot of the ADs are recognizing that, that, you know, it might not take too long. If we hire Medved, it might not take too long before we get good in a high major league. So that's obviously intriguing, despite the lack of a tournament appearance. March's biggest tournament is finally here. We do not know who will be cutting down the nets at the end, but we do know there will be no shortage of madness. DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app, is putting new customers in the center of the action. Bet $4 on an underdog. Win $256 if they win. It's that simple. They're making it rain over at DraftKings Sportsbook. Your opportunity to turn $4 into $256. You got that chance every day. There's so many select underdogs for you to put your money on. Doesn't get any better than this. You know, again, there's no way to to put your test to the knowledge than putting your money where your mouth is. I mean, you want to brag, you got to put some money on the line. That's how it works. I don't make the rules. Don't worry, though. If college basketball is not for you, DraftKings Sportsbook offers great odds, promotions on golf, hockey, baseball, UFC, so much more. You name it. They have the odds. Shoot, you can bet on table tennis if that's what you please. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable, so you can deposit your funds at your convenience. And it's, it's always safe. It's just the best. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use the promo code DNVR when you sign up for your chance to turn $4 into $256 if the underdog of your choosing pulls off the upset again. That code DNVR must be 21 or older, Colorado-only, new customers only. Restrictions do apply. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for details. Have a gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. We're all looking to save money, right? Especially now. So let me ask you this. How'd you like to keep an extra $961 a year in your pocket? That's how much Gabby customers save per year on average on car and home insurance. That's why when I was shopping for insurance, I used Gabby. Gabby takes the pain out of shopping for insurance by giving you an apples to apples comparison of your current average with 40 of the top insurance providers like Progressive, Nationwide, and Travelers. 
Just link your current insurance account and in just minutes, you'll be able to see quotes for the exact same coverage you currently have. That's what I did. You know, I talked about recently, I finally got a new set of wheels, no longer driving a clunker, had to hook it up with a new auto insurance rate, went on there, had to make sure I was getting a good deal, found out I was, found out it wasn't going to make a big difference for me to switch. But guess what? You might be paying way too much for your auto insurance. Like I said, Gabby customers save $961 per year on average. I bet it'd be nice to have a little bit of extra dough in your pocket. That's all I'm saying. If they can't find you savings, they'll let you know so you can relax knowing that you have the best rate out there. That's what they did for me. They brought me that peace of mind, that comfort knowing I'm not getting ripped off. I'm not spending too much and they'll never sell your info. So no annoying spams or robocalls. You gotta love that. Again, you're probably overpaying on car and home insurance. See how much Gabby can save you. It's totally free to check and there's no obligation. Go to Gabby.com slash DNVR. That's G-A-B-I dot com slash DNVR. Remember, they do not sell your info. You will not get blown up with insurance calls after checking Gabby out. That itself is super comforting to me. One more time, head to G-A-B-I dot com slash DNVR. See how much you can save. Make sure you get that slash DNVR in there and give us some cred. We love you. Shout out to all the DNVR supporters. It would obviously be a tough pill to swallow for CSU fans. Um, you know, Medved's a Minnesota guy, so if he took the gig, I think a lot of people would understand in that regard. You know, it's it's on a personal level, you, you get that. If if he were to move on, is, is there? Do you see a chance where maybe you know these assistants could get promoted? You know, it, it might be a little too early for some of these guys. It's tough to say, but you know, I, I really like what they've got building here, and and I've been impressed by Jr. Blunt and Ali Farouk what they've been able to do on a recruiting front. You know, you've gotten to know them a little bit just you know through the podcasting and stuff. You know, are are they two guys that you kind of see on that? on the rise or do you think they'd probably have to go to a smaller school first and then, you know, maybe get rehired kind of like Medved did? I would, I mean, I would hope for the former, but I'd probably expect the latter. I think just with the way college basketball coaching carousels work, it's, it's tough if you don't have, you know, X number of years of experience at, at this level, if you don't have this on your resume, it's just tough to, uh, have that in a meeting room and say, you know, I have this accomplished and this is why I should be a head coach at this university. It's, uh, you know, Jr. and Ali, I think that they're, they're I think they're phenomenal and they do a really great job with this program and they're a pleasure to talk to. And, and they're so good with the media. Uh, and then they've done a great job with this program and working alongside Nico and, and taking a lot of ownership of what goes on within that program. And, and, and you know, that, it's that isn't breaking news for people who follow the CSU program that they're really good guys who who do it the right way and do a great job. I, I would hope that if that were to happen, that CSU would at least consider it. But I I wouldn't necessarily expect it to happen. I think you need to I think you need to get more experience probably at a, a smaller school at a, at a head coach level before that rise uh, happens. But you know, it's we've seen crazier things happen before, and if that were to happen, uh, you, you'd hope for it. I just wouldn't really expect it at this point, though. Makes sense. That's kind of where I'm at too. I that's that's what I would root for. One, just from a continuity standpoint, 
I think that's the best chance you have to kind of keep most of the roster intact, just given that, you know, this is a tight group. Um, those assistants have been, have played a big role in, in building this and creating identity. So I'd, I'd be a fan of it, but it's always a gamble when you go with the younger guys. One of the guys I wanted to ask you about, I was actually a, a former CSU coach and a guy that has, his name's been, you know, kind of floated the last couple of coaching cycles, Tim Miles. He made all the sense in the world for, to me for the New Mexico job. They end up going with, you know, baby Patino. What, what are your thoughts on that hire? Did they, like, did they make the right move? You know, at first it seemed crazy to me. I've come around a little bit on it now that I've kind of dug into what he did at Minnesota. I don't know. I just, Miles just made so much sense. Yeah, he did make a lot of sense, especially with his familiarity with this conference. As yeah. you said, it, it, it makes a lot of sense. And I think his his track record with what he accomplished in the Big Ten is probably more impressive than what Patino accomplished in the Big Ten. Um, I, I, of course, it's not that isn't an apples to apples comparison. I think that there's a lot more that goes into it. And Nebraska and Minnesota are two wildly different programs. But I, I don't really know if you could have gone with with someone else. I think I think Miles and Patino are both very legitimate candidates if you can get a big 10 coach who has had success in that league and, and put him as the head coach in New Mexico. I think you take that every time. Um, and I think a, a lot of the concerns from New Mexico fans, whether it's justified or not, is the lack of ties to the area with Patino. And I, I get that in some schools, I think pride themselves more on maybe their region or their geography or their tradition more than others. But I don't really know if I see that as a as a big red flag with this hire. I, I don't know if you need to have that sort of regional ties. And it's nice when you have the familiar guy who's who's got the experience in the conference and he knows the area and maybe he's he's from the state of New Mexico or things like that. But it's not going to be the reason you lose games. And, and I mean Patino can recruit, he can get guys who can play there. And if you can pick up talent from California and Texas, then this thing should be rolling in no time. So um, I like the hire. I think he could have done a lot worse. I'm glad they, I mean, it's uh, hopefully that doesn't serve as a slight to Paul Weir because I think, I think he's a very good coach and he's intelligent. He's one of the, one of the kinder coaches who I've ever spoken to in this business. But I, I just think that the New Mexico state go, digging into that bin it's proven to not be the move for this conference with the way that some of these 10 years have, have played out and to get a guy from the big 10 who what a month ago, two months ago was ranked top 15 in the country to, to get that point. guy. I think, yeah. That, yeah, it's a, it's a good move. Now, of course it's like, well, how does, how does a coach who's top 15 in the big 10 uh, a month ago end up in New Mexico? That's fair. But um, I think he could have done a lot worse than Richard Pitino. I think he's going to do a pretty good job with the New Mexico program. I'll be interested to see how he builds it up. Um, it wouldn't surprise me at all if they try and land a bunch of high major you know, transfers, especially early these first couple of years, and kind of establish something down there. I like that you brought up the regional thing, though. And, and, I, and I don't mean this as a slight to New Mexico or Albuquerque or anything like that, but it's just not that big of a state. It's not like you're, you know, really, there just aren't that many D1 players coming out of the area. So I just, I don't think regional ties is that big of a deal. You know, you can add people on your staff to help you develop those connections. You want to have a place in the community, but from a, you know, a pure basketball standpoint, like you said, it's Texas, it's California. And I think it's going to be really reliant on transfers. Can we get both Patinos in the Mountain West potentially though? 
with Otzelberger moving on to Iowa State, I think Kevin Sweeney said it best when it was like, he's probably the seventh best coach in the Mountain West, yeah. but yeah. ends up getting hired first. It's yeah, that's a that's a crazy one. And I and I get it with the the Iowa State ties. I think their AD has a connection with Otzelberger and and with him being a Midwest guy, that makes sense, but it, it's uh, it could play out a number of different ways and I hope the best for Otzelberger. I I said from the start I thought he would get UNLV back to where they should be in this league where they're winning 20 games and they're competing for automatic bids and maybe getting at large every other year or so. And clearly it's not going to work out that way. And I mean, Osselberger has a way of falling up, doesn't he? Like he, he, inher- he inherited a South Dakota state roster with probably one of the best college basketball players of all time. And Mike Dom and a really great sidekick and David Jenkins jr. Inherited that, you know, one twenty-five plus games got to the tournament. He got the job at UNLV and maybe a bit too early for most people's liking. And now after two years without a tournament appearance, and I don't know what he finished with UNLV. It must've been right around 500. I think it was, yeah, I think it was like literally like 29 and 30. Yeah. (laughs) And now he's got a big 12 job. So, I mean, that's, that's cool for him. And I don't doubt that he can do a good job with the Iowa state program. I think that you should be able to, to do all right there. But man, that's that's a fascinating one, and I think I mean I think Kevin's right on that. Like you picked the probably, at least in terms of resume, probably the seventh ranked coach in this conference to to head your Big Twelve program. So I don't know how that plays out. Uh, Patino is not going to be the next UNLV head coach. I'm just going to I'm just going to Ooh. say that. Yeah. <laughs> it would now it would be it would be incredible. That would be holy smokes. That's like a dream. Slick Rick right on there. the strip. Like give me all oh of the content. <laughs> that would be that would be fantastic. Especially if New Mexico got it rolling and these two are meeting at the pit in a in a nicely sold out Thomas and Mac for some games. Oh my gosh, that's the that is the dream scenario right there. But uh. I, I don't see that happening as fun as it would be. I also don't really take anything that Rick Pitino says as fact anymore because we're what two years removed from saying he's never going to coach again. And he's back in the NCAA tournament before what Duke and Kentucky. So like kind of funny that that played yeah, out that way. Oh gosh. It's, it's insane, but I don't, I don't know where UNLV goes with this. I would, I would like for them to, find a coach who has some charisma and has this ability to connect with players because the thing that's been plaguing this program for so long is they have no continuity and they're losing three of their top five scores every single year, whether it's to graduation, to transfer or to the pros. And then they're losing their head coach for, I mean, for various reasons, you either get him plucked or you fire him every three, four years. How in the world are you going to build a program that can compete in a good Mountain West conference if you lose your head coach every three years and you lose your best player every single season? It's impossible. I don't think a coach cake come in here and get an empty cupboard of, you know, this player and that player who are two stars, three stars, and maybe a low major transfer, and he wouldn't be able to turn it around either. So you need to find a head coach who can do that. And I think that they'll have some good candidates. I think Todd Simon from Southern Utah. He, I, geez, that was one of the probably 10 worst programs in the entire nation as recent as five, 10 years ago. And he just led them to like a 25 and four season. And every year it's been an uphill climb. 
Dennis Gates from Cleveland State, he's done basically the same thing with that program, and they're they're going to be playing in March Madness here in 48 hours or so. So I think the candidate list is going to be pretty solid for UNLV. But, yeah, you just you have to find a guy who's going to buy in for the long term, and uh, I don't really know how you identify that. But if UNLV is doing a coaching search in 2025, I can bet you that they didn't have a tournament appearance in those three years. I can bet you they probably won't have a tournament appearance in the next three years. So you just have to find that guy. You can make this thing work. It's definitely unfortunate. I mean, it's been just so long since UNLV was truly relevant. I mean, they've had a couple of flash seasons here and there. I thought Otzelberger was going to do a good job. I mean, he's a proven recruiter. I mean, he was able to bring in some talent there. I just, Watching that team this year, I felt like they had some of the best scorers in the league, but they just didn't do anything to maximize their talent. So when it came to the, you know, pure just like coaching assessment, and again, I mean, this is just my opinion, take it with a grain of salt, but watching that UNLV team this year, I I felt like they underachieved. Yeah, I I had higher expectations for them as well. And I was looking at their their non-conference schedule heading into this thing. They had some they had some really good games lined up. They had the Maui tournament. They had a number of Pac-12 opponents that they were set to play. And I thought it was going to line up as a bubble-type season for UNLV to at least be in that conversation when you have usually the two best players on the court in Bryce Hamilton and David Jenkins Jr. And they just fell flat a lot of the times. And the, the conference was pretty top-heavy this year. And they had that strong four and then you're facing Nevada and, and Grant Sherfield. That's pretty tough, but I would have thought that UNLV would at least be in that, that middle tier, or at least the upper tier to a certain extent. And they just, they just kind of fell flat. I thought that defensively they weren't necessarily as locked in as they needed to be. And just going on these, these stretches where you have such great isolation bucket getters on your team and you still go, at times three, four minutes out of the basket. It's just, it's kind of unusual. And I don't know if that falls entirely on coaching. I think that if you gave Otzelberger another year or two here, he'd probably find his type of players and he'd make this thing work just like he did at South Dakota State. But now you don't have the opportunity. You have to go digging back in the coaching vacancy again. You have to see what you can pull up. But uh, I think everyone agrees that we're rooting for UNLV to be good because it's fun when probably your biggest brand in the conference besides San Diego state is good. And when you go down to the Thomas and Mac come Mountain West tournament time, the team that plays there is actually going to last for more than 40 minutes. Like it's, that's, that's, that's good. It's good for the conference. And I think a lot of people think that I have something against UNLV and I absolutely don't. I just think that it's, it's so frustrating when you lose your best talent every single year. And then you just have to rebuild. And you know it's going to take a couple of years. Marvin Menzies got there, and he had such an empty cupboard, and he tried to do the best he could. I still think he got a fire. He got fired a year. I thought early. he got a raw deal, man. Yeah. They improved under him. Yeah. I mean, like it, it wasn't yeah. a situation where they were thriving, but they were going in the right direction. Mm-hmm. And and they fired him right when UNLV was playing well down that stretch. Yeah. And I don't. I think they got a pretty tough draw in the Mount West tournament, but it was a first round exit. To, yeah. But- was it? I'm pretty sure, yeah. yeah. And then he got fired like almost immediately after. Yeah, it's it's tough, and I I just don't think I, some so many of these ads and and boosters and and guys they just want to be so quick to move on from these coaches if they don't have it going by year two. But with I think the way that the transfer portal is now, 
that's such an unrealistic expectation because as soon as you fire a head coach, whether you're at uh, a high major team or mid-major team or a low major team, you're going to lose at least three of your five best players and you have to hit reset. The first year, you're not going to be good. The second year, you hope to at least get some freshmen who come play for you. But if your first year went poorly, they probably have a bit of a hesitancy to do that. And then you're ending year two, probably 10, 10 games below 500. And then already the program's fed up with you. And then year three, you're coaching for your job. So uh, that's just the way that it is now. And, and uh, the way that the portal has impacted this thing. But it's, it's just so tough. And I wish ADs would have a little bit more patience with these, with these coaches. Patience is a virtue, my friend. It's, <laughs> it's necessary when, when building programs up the right way. You're right, though. I mean, it is frustrating just from a Mountain West fan side. Like, UNLV should be good. They have great resources. You know what I mean? You're, it shouldn't be that hard to recruit to Las Vegas. I mean, I, I don't know if I would want to live there year-round, but I, I don't think it's necessarily a hard sell, especially, you know, great weather, you know, attractive people out there and, and all the nightlife and the NBA stuff. And I don't know. It just... It feels like a gig that should be pretty easy to get going, but it just hasn't been hasn't been that way for, gosh, I don't know, a decade plus. Yeah, it's it's been tough. I think what their last regular season title in Mountain West, I think, was the first year of the conference, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, and and that's that's crazy to think about because UNLV is still a good brand, and they're just a few years removed from having a front court that was the best Juco player in the nation and Shakir Justin and a, and a five-star center, Brandon McCoy. And they had that thing going pretty well too. I think that they started off maybe 13 and one that year and, and they were, they were looking pretty solid. And a lot of those wins were against weaker teams, but it finally felt like some momentum for the UNLV program. And Thomas and Mac was starting to flip a little bit and they had those neutral side games at T-Mobile, which were really fun. And uh, it's, it's unfortunate to get, Osterberger plucked like he did because I still think that this is a team that could have competed for an at-large bid next year. And if you just gave it time, it would probably work out. But back to the drawing board, and you just hope for a continuity uh, with that program, or else it's probably it's it's just going to keep hitting the reset button. You have to have continuity in that program to make it work. Hey guys, we're going to get back to the podcast in just a second, but real quick, I wanted to talk about all the perks of being a DNVR member. Obviously, we've got March Madness coming up and we're going to be doing all kinds of live shows, talking about betting, sleeper picks, all that fun stuff. The Rams didn't make the tourney, unfortunately, but hey, March is still here. We're going to lean all in. If you're all in on the, the NCAA tournament, you want to talk about it with fellow college basketball fans, there's no better place than the DNVR lounge. It is our DNVR Discord. It's for members only. It's for the diehard fans like you guys. I mean, obviously, if you're a member, you get to read all of our premium content, all of our premium videos, all of that great stuff. You get a free DNVR shirt with your membership. I mean, it's just awesome. There's weekly deals uh, for members, and that's discounted merch. You get a big beer for the price of a tiny beer at the DNVR bar. I mean, it's awesome. You even have a chance to hop on one of our live streams or podcast. There are just endless benefits of being a DNVR member. Right now, we have a, a fun new perk for our next 300 members. If you sign up to become an annual DNVR member, not only do you receive a free shirt 
of your choice from the DNVR locker, but you will also receive a Recover Holistic Stick from Holistic Wellness. What's that, you ask? Holistic Wellness is all about CBD. The stick we will send you packs 10 milligrams of CBD, and this one is focused all on recovery. It's super easy. All you do is pop the top of the stick, pour it in any drink, stir, and consume. They are amazing. So easy to use, no mess. It's really the best. That's H-O-L-I-S-T-I-K wellness.com. They're offering all of our listeners 30% off of their first purchase using the code DNVR30. Again, if you get an annual membership, the next 300 members are going to get a free DNVR shirt and a holistic stick with a coupon inside. It's an absolute banger of a deal. Personally, I recommend using the DNVR 30 benefit on a sampler pack. This includes five sticks of CBD for recovery, sleep, stress, beauty, and digest. You can see what works best for your future purchases. Head to dnvr.com today. Become a member of the family. Well, man, I I don't want to take up too much of your time here, but just briefly before I let you go, with Utah opening, with Minnesota opening, is there any chance Craig Smith is back in in Logan next season? There, there's a chance that he's back. I think there's there's a there's a decent chance that he's back, but those jobs have to be pretty intriguing to him, especially if he were just to move over in state to Utah and and compete in the Pac-12. And I mean, being a Washington guy, and I don't really know how the Hopkins tenure is going to end, but. I, I selfishly wanted Craig Smith to be the next head coach of Washington. I think that would be an awesome fit for him. And I don't know how that plays out, but I, it almost feels like kind of a, a an inevitable at this point that he's going to get a bigger, bigger job to lead this team to three bids. I, I count last year because the, the Merrill he shot should. went in and yeah. They, and yeah, he should get credit for that to get this team to three straight tournament bids in three years when they're projected to finish, I think seventh in the league, his first year, that's, that is a huge accomplishment that I don't think is being talked about enough. And he has some super intelligent uh, coaches on his staff who they get that high major experience and they will go on and be good head coaches as well. So for the conference, you hope that, that Utah state can up the ante and, and pay him his due and, and keep him in Logan. But the intrigue of all of these high major jobs that are just sprouting up from everywhere. It, it has to, it has to at least intrigue him a little bit and can, and make him a, consider this as a, a potential building block for him. Any chance? Uh, well, I mean, there's always a chance, but do you see a, a scenario where Leon Rice could move on? Maybe, you know, I, I know Boise fans are a little bit frustrated with the lack of success in March, but my advice to them is the grass is rarely greener in those scenarios. You you took the words from my mouth. I, that's exactly what I've been saying for years now. I don't I don't think Leon Rice would make a move, and I think if if he was going to, he would have by now. And he's already had Pac-12 jobs reach out to him, and uh, I think he had it was an Atlantic Ten job. I can't remember which one, if whether it was LaSalle or something like that. There was a little bit of a tie there, but. For the most part, it's usually been hush hush every year, and he would kind of seem like a really good candidate for, you know, maybe a low level Pac-12 job or something like that. Even Utah, would, you know, I don't, yeah, he seems yeah. like a, a guy that could have success uh-huh. there, maybe. Yeah, definitely. I think Utah would would be a good fit, but I just don't see it happening at this point. I think Leon Rice, it, and again, this is just kind of my gut feeling on it. I feel like he 
he likes the Boise area. That's a city in itself that's been growing quite a bit and is kind of turning into a, a really nice spot in itself. Um, I think that Boise State Athletics overall, they're probably doing a little bit better investing in these programs now as to as opposed to where they were 10 years ago. And I, I've said it so many times, if you can take a two-star, a fringe three-star every year and turn him into an NBA talent by the time he's a junior, then you're doing something right. And Boise State fans who want him fired are just absolutely ridiculous. I understand that there have been the shortcomings in March and the mid-major level of basketball is just so grueling when you have to be expected to win three games against... You have to be perfect. You have to be yeah, perfect, you, basically, much, or you yeah. don't get the benefit of the doubt. Yes, exactly. And Colorado State this year is a perfect example of that. Boise State is a perfect example of that. When they have teams that are almost in the top 25 and then they are sent to the NIT or, or even not even the NIT in some circumstances, um, I you would have liked to have had more bids out of the Boise State program in the last 10 years, but it's just it's just how it goes. And if if you do choose to move on from Leon Rice, who are you going to get who's going to prove to be a better head coach than Leon Rice? Like and stick around. Like you have you have the continuity yes, yeah. going your way. It's just Yep. Yeah, you might be able to pluck some up and coming guy that comes in and, and takes a roster that Leon built and is stacked with talent, yeah. even moving forward. Mm-hmm. And, you know, maybe make a run or two, but then what are they going to do? They're going to jump for the first Pac-12 gig they get. Yeah. And when you have a guy that truly wants to be there and does a good job, like, mm-hmm. that's just so rare in today's college game that it frustrates me to see fan bases that, that complain. I will say, and I sometimes take shots at Boise State, but I think there's an entitlement with their fan base just because of their football yeah. success. You know, they want immediate gratification, but as we, you know, have said, it just, it doesn't work that way in college basketball, especially when you don't get the benefit of the doubt, when you have so many factors going against you, you got to be able to appreciate, you know, the 20 win seasons, even if it doesn't necessarily end how you would hope, or, you know, even if you don't get that chance to make a run for a title. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree with that. And if, if you get 20 wins every year, at least an NIT berth and a player drafted, if that's what every season looks like in the Mountain West, you take that every single time, especially with a coach who isn't going to jump as soon as his name gets hot. And I think I think Leon Rice is a different head coach because he served as an assistant with Mark Few for so many years. And he saw what Spokane looked like then, and he sees what it looks like now when this team is competing for national championships. And there, and he must have that kind of stowed away in his brain and, and probably thinks that maybe this isn't going to be the next Gonzaga, but it could be a really darn good program like San Diego State or or like some of these programs out West where, um, where previously 20 years ago it wasn't the same. And now it's like, okay, we're going to win 20, 25 games. We're going to be ranked most years. We're going to send players to the NBA and we're going to compete for tournament wins. And if you're a fan of a mid-major you get you take that every single time. And I think, as you said, the Boise State football program, it's so good that I think it kind of, it, it, the fan will naturally expect the basketball program to be as good. And there's such a wide disparity in how much uh, money goes to Boise State football as opposed to basketball. I think it's one of the hugest margins in the country. And uh, what Boise State has maybe the eighth biggest basketball budget in this conference, and they're still winning 20 games every year. I guess it's, it's, he's a great coach. He's a phenomenal coach. 
CSU's done a better job at, at funding basketball than Boise has, but it is kind of interesting to see how that dynamic works at schools like Boise State, CSU, Wyoming. I'd even put Utah State in there where they're football schools. Like it, it's what they want. It's what they put most of their funding into. I always just wonder, you know, if 10 years ago, CSU was like, you want to know what? We're going to be a middle of the pack football program and we'll live with that. And they just went all in on basketball. Like what could possibly happen? Could CSU be like the next Gonzaga? Could they, you know, make a run or, you know, jump in the pack 12 or something? It's tough to say. That's the fun stuff about college sports. though. you always get to dream. You always get to hope. Eli, thank you so much for, you know, giving me so much of your time. I know you've got a million things going on. Make sure that you guys are following all his work. He just does some of the best in the country. I say it every time. I always butter him up, but it's the truth. Thanks for coming on, I dude. Appreciate it. I appreciate it, man. It's always fun to hop on this show and chat hoops with you. It's just two guys talking about basketball. I can't get much better than that. Exactly. This is the best time of year. This is March. Shout out John Rothstein, <laughs> even though he's a weirdo. I love him. Yeah, where are you at on Rothstein? Just real quick before we go. Are you a fan? Because college basketball fans are really divided. It's like you either love the dude or you absolutely hate him. I, I mean, I okay. Tremendous reporter. He breaks every single story. The the Rostin isms, I think initially I was I was cool with them, and now I mean I have them on notifications, so I know what's going on in in the country, so I can I know what's going on in the college basketball world, and <laughs> you wake up every morning and then it's like John Rostin tweeted, and it's just like five quotes from Stay hungry, stay test. humble. Yes, and then uh, stay positive, test negative, and like obvious, it's like oh my goodness. So I'm just rolling with the punches. I I have the utmost respect for the reporting work that he does, uh, but I am never I'm, I'm I'm not going to buy any Rothstein merch. I'm I'm sorry, but I just I will I'm not, not either. going to do it. <laughs> I mean, even if watched if Mike Hopkins turned this thing around and turned UW into a gauntlet, I'm I'm still not getting like a, a Rothstein dog pound sweatshirt. <laughs> like, I just I just I can't put myself through that. It is interesting to see just like over the last couple of years. I mean. I would say four or five years ago, you know, college basketball fans, they knew he was kind of this like dorky guy, but he wasn't like the face of college basketball or anything. And then all of a sudden he's just become the, like one of the guys in college basketball. I mean, kudos to him and all his branding. I mean, we can make fun of him all (laughs) we want, but that's how the game works. Anyways, I just want to get your perspective on him. (laughs) He's always an interesting guy, but shout out to Eli. Make sure you're checking out everything he's got going on at heat check. He's the founder the man, the myth, the legend, Eli. Enjoy March Madness. You've earned it. <laughs> you too, man. It should be a really good one. Looking forward to it. I only seem to write when the words, they don't come to me. I'm staring at this page and I swear it stares back at me. Read between the lines, see the blank and all the happenings. It's been 35 and I ain't even wrote like half a thing. Rhymes that make sense, but more lines that didn't. I was walking with my headphones, heavy bumping pivot. Simplistic white pages, they dreaming we were famous. They say they like the cadence, mark the summers like cicadas. And features, those ain't favors. My mood rings an alligator. Spit like Vader with the saber, steady kicking it like Prater. Staring at white paper, it's habitual behavior. Check the flavor, that's some sage advice. But confidence, a great disguise. And certain lines are idolized, like, yeah, I'm fine. And I don't mind, it's out of sight, it's out of mind. And I've been dwelling on my past just to see what I can find. Lost and found memories of places I designed. And my imagination's different now, but I swear that I.